Well, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us for this celebration at the ballpark where we announce together the news that we live in a world where death no longer has the final word. That we live in a world where evil and injustice may be a part of our experience, but they do not have the ultimate claim on us. We live in a world, because of Easter Sunday, in which the worst thing is never the last thing. And it's so appropriate that we would do this outside, by the way. I don't know, it's, uh, it's not widely known uh, as you sort of look at the scriptures that the first Easter Sunday was just like this, and there were some things that they didn't mention in the scripture. There were blankets and uh, hand warmers and sunglasses, which should have been handouts for more blankets. But I'm really glad that you all came out here tonight, uh, today, and I'm, I sure appreciate you braving the, the cool. We prayed for no rain. We didn't pray for no northeast wind. So uh, there you go. But uh, let's just celebrate the fact that we're here and that we're together. And celebrate how the resurrection happened and is happening as we think about not only that this happened outside, out in the world as we are this morning, not only that, that there is a resurrection reality, but in the story that we read, there is also a, a resurrection realization of how this applies to real people's lives, ordinary people's lives, like yours and mine. In fact, for just a, a few brief moments on that first Easter Sunday, the whole story, this cosmic thing, applied to one single person, a woman. And the ramifications of this whole thing was was felt in just that, that one person. In, John, in John's Gospel, we read that Mary Magdalene traveled to the tomb early in the morning. And her assumption was that the, the, that the tomb would be full. And then when she saw that the stone was removed, her assumption was that the body had been stolen. And through the course of the morning, she keeps repeating this mistaken assumption about the world. And I wonder how we might relate to that kind of assumption. How we, through the way we see things, make certain assumptions about the way the world is. Mary is stuck there that first Easter Sunday. It wasn't an instant realization. It wasn't uh, showing up kind of knowing the story. It wasn't showing up with trumpet fanfare. Mary, the one person who was at the tomb, figured things were getting worse. So she runs to find Peter and John and they they come and they join her in this mistaken assumption about the state of things, not yet realizing that Jesus is alive and what it means. And so they leave. And for the second time in the morning, Mary is there by herself, just one person. Last night we were doing our sound check and uh, have to test the mic, and it's always awkward to know what to say. And so I looked out, and there was one person in the stands last night, Becky Tuck. She said it was okay to talk about her if it was nice. Uh, Becky Tuck was there because Dave was up here getting ready. And, and Becky and I started to have a conversation, and I, I sort of had this realization that that was more like the first Easter than this would be. As much as I love the crowd and as much as I'm so thankful that you are here, the first Easter Sunday was kind of like that. There was one person in the stands. And uh, Becky said that if I preached the sermon to her, um, she could tell me which parts were boring and I could leave those out today, which we did. One person in the stands, one person 
there for the big reveal. One regular person, Mary Magdalene was an ordinary person. She was from a little town on the Sea of Galilee. She was part of Jesus' ministry. She probably supported Jesus and had an investment in him. Jesus had healed her, and so that is another level of investment. She was not a prostitute, as tradition has sometimes said. She was not Jesus' girlfriend, as the Da Vinci Code might suggest. All that misses the point. Mary was just regular, an ordinary person. She could have been any of us, just one person in the stands. And that's the point. So Mary finally looks into the tomb herself, and she sees something that the men didn't see. They just saw an empty tomb with the, the grave clothes folded up. She saw something else. She saw two angels, one at the head and one at the foot of the grave where Jesus was been. The symbol of, symbolism of this is powerful. How many of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? All the old people raise their hands. Uh, that movie is about... The Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of God's presence with the people Israel. And the top of that ark uh, was called the Mercy Seat. It became known as the Mercy Seat. And on it, very in very prescriptive ways in Exodus 25, uh, God told them how to build it with two cherub, cherubim, two angels, two heavenly creatures uh, in gold with their wings stretched over the ark. And in Exodus 25, God tells the people that there above the cover, between the, on the cover between the two cherubim, there over the ark of the covenant of the law, God says, I will meet with you. This is where God's presence rested. In the story of Jesus, the symbolism on that first Easter Sunday, the presence, now it's shifted. The divine encounter, the in, in, intersection of heaven and earth, not in a temple, but in a tomb. And if it could be there, it could be anywhere. I have to admit, there were a few people that wondered whether we should do the Easter celebration at the ballpark. Uh, and we did have a service this morning. The church was full, by the way. We had a wonderful service uh, with the choir. And uh, there are plenty of good reasons to be in church on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, instead of the ballpark. One, it was a lot warmer there. But just a few people weren't sure that we should celebrate Easter at the ballpark because they weren't sure it was holy enough. But that is the entire point, that the holiness of God is now here, out in the world. It's found not only in a temple, but also in a tomb. And if it can be there, it can be anywhere. It can be everywhere. Seeing that, you would think that Mary would have gotten the message. That would be the moment of realizations. That's when you cue the trumpets. That's when it becomes real, and it's not. She didn't yet understand. The, the angel said, why are you crying? And she repeats her mistaken assumption about the world. I wonder if you have continued to repeat some mistaken assumptions about the state of the world. So Mary turns around, and she almost runs in to Jesus himself. And there you go. The trumpets are ready. The, 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 cue the sound. Here we go. You would think that's the moment that she realizes what's going on, and it's not. She doesn't even recognize Jesus. And people have wondered since that moment why she didn't know it was him. Was it because he looked different? Was it because she was so stuck in her grief? And I think it maybe is just something that we would also understand. 
this kind of message is not immediately clear, that we live in a world that has crucifixions, as Mary saw, had been through and was experiencing deep grief and loss and, and all of the, the ugliness of the world. She had seen that world and she had seen that world through her own eyes. But to see a world in which there are crucifixions but also resurrections, well, that takes some time. It doesn't, it doesn't become immediately evident to Mary, and I don't think it does to us. Isn't it hard for us to see a world in where there are there are crucifixions that happen, but also that we live in a world where resurrection happens. So Mary thinks Jesus is the gardener, and she starts to repeat herself again that they've taken the body, and she doesn't know where they've put it. And then Jesus says her name, Mary. It could have been anybody's name. She was an average Joe. Mary and it is then and only then that the reality of the resurrection is met with the realization of it that's when it becomes real for the one woman in the stand did it ever occur to you that there are actually two parts of this story two parts of the resurrection two parts that are equally important one is the part that we might call the cosmic reality of the risen Christ, the work of Christ on our behalf, the thing that we talk about where Jesus walks the path to the cross, defeats death, is risen to new life, and now is about to be ascended, as he tells Mary, to be the risen Lord over the whole creation. That's a pretty important part of the story, isn't it? But there's another part, there's a second part. And I want to say that this part is just as important. It's the, it's the part when Mary realizes it. It's the moment when Jesus speaks her name. Just as important as the Savior, who can't go up into heaven to reign over heaven and earth until he goes and finds this woman and looks her in the eye and calls her by name. Two things going on. I don't think it can be one without the other. It's the transcendent and the imminent, we might say. It's the up there and the down here, the macro and the micro, the fantastical and the face-to-face, -face, the reality of the resurrection, but also the realization of it in an individual person. The resurrection reveals who Christ is and also that Christ speaks our name, our true identity. Thought we might experiment, experiment with that this morning. I think it's important for you to hear Christ speaking your name and well, the way we're going to do that is we're just gonna, all going to say our name here. On the count of three, in a second, I'm going to ask you just to say your name out loud so that we can get into the Easter story. And as we hear that, we're reminded that Jesus is speaking each of our names, that the risen Christ is speaking each of our names, and that there is a realization of what that means for the realities of our lives. So, okay, you ready? On the count of three, you're just going to say your name. Ready? One, two, three. Adam. A lot more people in the stands this Easter. The first thing that Jesus says when he is resurrected from the dead is Mary's name. What does that tell us about God? What does it tell us about this story? You know, my favorite Easter joke, by the way, that I try not to tell every Easter, and I kind of find myself doing it. I'm going to, I'm just like on a mission until every person has heard this joke. 
is the question that the Sunday school teacher asked the little boy about this very thing. She's setting up this very story and says to the little boy, do you know what the first thing Jesus said when he came out of the tomb was? And the little boy goes, I know. Ta-da! If you stop laughing, I'll stop telling the joke. But the first thing that Jesus says when he comes out of the tomb is not ta-da. The first thing that Jesus says when he is resurrected from the dead is someone's name. What does that tell us about this story? What does it tell us about this reality as it applies to ordinary people's lives like ours? This is where the resurrection becomes real and it begins to change our understanding of who we are and our purpose and how we encounter the mistaken assumptions of our lives. It helps us understand how to navigate our success and our failure as we understand that we are the kind of people that Jesus would track down and look in the eye and speak our name. The, the realization of the resurrection is a pretty important part of the story. It begins to affect how we live our lives. Last Sunday, Scotty Scheffler won the Masters in golf. Anybody watch that? He's 25 years old. And uh, last Sunday afternoon, I was sitting on um, my in-law's couch listening, and Jim Nance announced to the world that Scheffler and his caddy, Ted Scott, met at a Bible study, a tour Bible study. Someone asked if it was a match made in heaven. Someone else said, I don't know, but at least it was a match made at a Bible study. Pretty close. This is what Scheffler said after winning. The reason I play golf is I'm trying to glorify God and all that he's done in my life. So for me, my identity isn't a golf score. His wife, Meredith, told him that morning, if you win this tournament, if you lose it, if you never play golf again, you're still who you are. I still love you. Jesus still loves you. And so he said, I'm try- all I'm trying to do is glorify God, and that's why I'm here. There are a lot of us coming to this realization, this is why we're here, and that we have some mis. Misunderstood uh, assumptions about the state of the, thing, the world, and then Jesus calls our name. And we figure out that things are a lot different than we realize. In an instant, Mary knew who Jesus was, but she also knew who she was. And she knew that this was a very different story. Yesterday, I spoke with Dr. Terry Daniels, the director at the Foundry, and he was telling me just how successful the preschool there is. We helped start that many years ago. It is literally blowing the statistics off the charts in terms of school readiness with these preschoolers going into kindergarten. But then he said, it's not just that they're ready for school, it's also that they know who they are. Because they spend years with us and we tell them that they have worth and that they have an identity in Christ. We tell them that they have value and they start to believe it. This is the realization of the resurrection. Mary was changed. The world hadn't changed, but she had. And this is where I want to end today. Because I think we often look for the world to change. We kind of get up on Easter Sunday morning and we announce that Jesus is risen. And we talk about this cosmic reality that happens and almost floats over our heads. But there is the second part of the story. We look for the world to be changed. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm disappointed that it's not. And it helps feed into that mistaken assumption about the state of the world. The same assumption that Mary keeps repeating that this is 
not good, that it's getting worse. We often look for the world to change, and so then, and when we see that, then we think we will. And the resurrection story helps us understand that it is just the opposite. The, the realization of the resurrection happens not out there, but in here. And the world begins to change because one person does. The one person in the stands who gets the impact of the story, whose identif- identity is clarified, and who begins to live differently. The power of the resurrection is simply Mary's moment of realization happening over and over and over and over and over and over again in ordinary Joes and regular Marys like you and me. And that clarity helps us engage the world differently. In February of 1988, one of my heroes in the faith, Desmond Tutu, was arrested for protesting the apartheid system, the racist system of apartheid in South Africa. Before that point, he was becoming known, but at that point of his arrest, he became someone with a target on him. So just a couple weeks after the arrest at a church service in a church building, on a Sunday morning, the the South African security police walked into St. George's Cathedral and lined the walls as they were having church. Jim Wallace was there and said not only that, but also there were reporters and people with notepads and recorders trying to catch him whenever he responded, whatever he might say, that would allow them to arrest him for subverting the government. Desmond Tutu stopped preaching that day and he began to look at the people who had gathered to trap him. And after meeting their eyes with a steely gaze, he said this to them. Well, you are very powerful, aren't you? Very powerful indeed. But I serve a God who cannot be mocked. And then in the most extraordinary challenge to political tyranny, Archbishop Tutu told the representatives of South African apartheid this. Since you have already lost, I invite you to join the winning side. Well, they didn't know what to do with that. Because it didn't look very much at all like they were the losing side. It looked like they were doing just fine. The government had the power. They had the ability to imprison and to silence and to use force and to kill if necessary. The winning side looked an awful lot like the losing side. Except for what we know because of Easter. We can have some pretty mistaken assumptions about the world, can't we? Except for this vision, a vision of a world that looks more like the one God intended. Except for this vision of radical love revealed in a broken body. And except for a vision of love that cannot be stopped because it will simply call people by name and draw them in. Come to the winning side, Bishop Tutu said. And when that happened, the congregation erupted. Come to the winning side. And they erupted not in violence, but in worship because they had the realization of the resurrection. The congregation erupted in worship and they rose to their feet and they began to sing and then they started celebrating this thing that had happened and the thing that would inevitably happen because of it. Their worship led them out of the church and it continued out in the streets and these guards and these policemen who had come with guns didn't know what to do with it. They were speechless, not knowing what else to do, they backed up. 
And Jim Wallace writes this, they provided the space for the people of faith to dance for freedom in the streets of South Africa. Today, I invite you to join the winning side. I invite you into the reality of the resurrection, but also the realization of it and what it means for how you live your life. I invite you to live and act knowing which side is the winning side. And I invite you to spill out into the streets and into ballparks and golf courses and homes and workplaces and stores and schools and the very specific places of very ordinary lives into temples and into tombs. Any place and every place to celebrate what has already happened and what inevitably will because we know the, the winning side and because the risen Jesus is speaking your name. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for each person here and each name represented. Would you help us through this story to see our lives and our world with clarity and find ourselves celebrating and overjoyed, courageous, and unstoppable as the resurrection becomes real in each of us. And we pray this in the name of the one who gave himself for us, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who is seated at your right hand, reigning over heaven and earth, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.